Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. On your notes, going to 1 John chapter 2, first set of verses tonight, 1 John, 1 John chapter 2. We're talking about divorcing the spirit of the world, the spirit of the world, not the world itself because that would involve the people, which we clearly are supposed to reach, but we're divorcing the spirit of it, what Satan brought about through the fall as the God of this world. How can we divorce? We, this is one thing we definitely want to divorce in our life, separate from that we're not connected to it. We don't allow it to have its hold on us or any form of attraction to pull us back into it. Amen? First John chapter 2, 15, verse 15 says, Do not, do not, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone, say anyone. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, the Amplified brings out really what's probably rendered in the Greek language, the more correct wording here. If anyone loves the Father, excuse me, if anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in him. You cannot give your full love and devotion to the world and at the same time give it to God. It doesn't work. Verse 16, for all that's in the world. And then he defines what he's talking about, about the spirit of the world. All that's in the world, lust of the flesh, Lust of the eyes, the pride of life. So what is the makeup, pastor, of the spirit of the world? The makeup of the spiritual world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It's not of the Father. So we know it's clearly not of the context, in essence, the spirit of God because he's a spirit. But it's of the world. So it is of the spirit of the world. 17, the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who what? He who what? Does the will of God abides forever. So let's talk real quick in, in just for a moment, as we've talked about before, verse 16, about these three things that make up the spirit of the world. One, the lust of the flesh. So the lust of the flesh is just referring to the old, fallen, Adamic nature. Everything about it and its desires are opposed to God. Anything to do with that old, fallen, Adamic nature is opposed to God. Lust of the eyes is what we get our focus on. That all of a sudden, if we get our focus on the things of this world instead of God, it will cause you to be led astray and therefore your love for God not be manifest through you. You cannot get focused on anything other than God in this life and continue to walk in a love towards God. So the context of the lust of the eyes is what you're focusing your life on, what you're zeroing in on. And the pride of life, your will, your own choices, your decisions. The Adamic nature, lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes, what I'm focused on. If I desire with my eyes things that are of the world, that's wrong. If I focus on the things of God and God, that's good. And understand then the last one, pride of life. Pride of life is simply making my choices based on what I want, not what God says. That's choosing to go your own way. 
choosing to do things your own way. Even though God may say uh, other, otherwise, you choose to do stuff your own way. So number one, we're not to love the world clearly, right? Love not the world. 1A, this is not a suggestion. I said it's not a suggestion. He said do not love. That's not a suggestion. Do not love. So this is not a suggestion. B, what are we not supposed to love? Don't love the world or the things in the world. 1C, if you love the world, love of or for the Father, therefore, is not in you. Now, let me give you some key notes here about the word love. When it talks about not loving the world, it relates to a form of the word that comes from agape, but it's agapeo. It's a little different. So it's a little different in its meaning, and it's more active in its, in its uh, position in the actual language of the Greek. So I'll give you a couple of things here that will help you understand this a little better. Understanding not loving the world, but loving the Father. Love can only be known from the actions it prompts. Love can only be known through, from the actions that it prompts. So an action would include words, but if you just speak words and say you love something or love, in essence, love somebody or love God, what really proves that's true? Your actions. Remember what Jesus said? If you love me, what will you do? You'll obey my commands. So this, this type of love here can only be known from the actions it prompts. This is therefore a form of Christian love or Christ-like love. So Christian love has God as its primary object. Christian love, Christ-like love, the love of God, has God as its primary object. If God is not my primary object, I'm not walking in the love of God. I'm not walking in Christian love. So that would mean I'm doing what? If God is not my primary object, I'm not walking in a love of God, what therefore am I doing? I'm loving the world. I'm loving the world or something about the world. And then finally, this is important, self-pleasing negates the love of God. Self-pleasing negates the love of God. Because if you're self-pleasing, you're focused on you, what you want. Well, that includes the pride of life, doing things your way. And guess what that'll do? It'll negate the love of God. If I'm trying to please self, guess what you're going to wind up doing? You're going to wind up negating your love for God. I'm not here to please me. Who are we here to please? We're here to please God. So all those things are significant to understanding this love that we're talking about. Now, if you'll back up to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it will explain to us here in this verse that when you got born again, here's the cool part, the guy on the inside, the new spirit man, actually dumped what is known as the spirit of this world, and it has now put within it a brand new type of an aspect of a spirit, which is now the Spirit of God. Aren't you glad? Uh, 1 Corinthians 2. So we know this doesn't come from our spirit man, clearly. It's still a carnal or fleshly issue, and therefore something we have to address in our life. Uh, think of it this way. How many understand, again, the power of your words? I say, how many understand the power of your words? Right? So it's like I was uh, sharing this uh, the, other night, uh, the other day with uh, Cassie. you got to understand the spiritual law. Uh, very clear in Mark chapter 11, uh, verse 23. The Bible says, whatever you believe in your heart, speak with your mouth. You'll have it. It didn't say God's word. It said whatever. Whatever you believe in your heart and speak, you'll have it. James 3 talks about this in relationship to the tongue. And here's what I wanted to get about understanding dealing with your flesh. How many know your tongue's part of the flesh? And the, and the soul, you know, trunk, tongue controlled by the soul and not your spirit man, where is it going to go from? The flesh. 
who come from the old fleshly nature. James 3 says, you cannot tame the tongue. You cannot. So that means I got to deal with my flesh consistently. Because if I could tame it, it's dealt with, right? And then I don't have to worry about it again. But he said, you can't tame your tongue. Why? It's part of your flesh. So understand this. Your new spirit man, thank God, is not a problem. But the fleshly nature still is. 1 Corinthians 2.12. Now we have received, say I have. We have received not the spirit, underline it, the spirit of the world. See, we don't have that spirit anymore. We've not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Say, I have not received the spirit of the world, but I have received the spirit who is from God. He goes on to say, and I love this, he says, that we might know. What's one of the reasons we've got this spirit from God? That we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Because who's going to reveal those things to us? Holy Spirit will. So our spirit man's not the problem. But we've got to realize this is why it's significant to start being spirit controlled. If my spirit doesn't have within it the spirit of the world, then if I'm being controlled by my spirit, I'm not going to give in to loving the spirit of the world. Or the things of the world. Because my flesh isn't in control. All I got to do is get my spirit dominating. And the flesh is not going to be an issue. But there's things I have to do to still keep my flesh in check. Okay, 2A on your notes there. uh, Under spirit of the world, 2A, we have not clearly received the spirit of the world. 2B, we are those who have the spirit of God. But even so, it doesn't mean there's not people who may betray God. Betray leaders. Betray their walk with God, all for the things of this world, and yet be born again. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. So we'll look at this. The thing about loving the world or the things of this world, if you don't divorce the spirit of this world, it will eventually cause you, you ready? It will cause you to divorce your call in God, your place in God, what God gifted you and gave you the ability to do. If you do what? If you do not divorce the spirit of the world. Because if you don't divorce the spirit of the world, I promise you, once again, if you love the world or the things of the world, guess what you're not going to do? You're not going to walk in a love for God. So therefore, you're divorcing, in essence, really what God has intended for your life. But we want to do the opposite. We want to be separated from this world spirit and continue to walk in what God has for us. Amen? 2 Timothy chapter 4, one of... Paul's immediate helpers in his time was a man named Demas. Notice this. Verse 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly. Paul writing to Timothy. For. For. Demas has forsaken me. Now when he's writing to Timothy here. Timothy's already pastor in a church at Ephesus. Guess what Timothy now has to do because of Demas. He has to leave his post. He's got to put somebody else in charge, of course, but he's called to be at Ephesus. Now he's got to leave his post. Think about this. And he's got to rush to Paul because Paul needs help. And why does Paul need help? Because Demas has forsaken him. A lot of people don't know that when you betray your, your place in God, you betray, you betray your position in God, it also affects other people. So notice this. He said, be diligent to come to me quickly for Demas has forsaken me. Why? Why has Demas forsaken me? Having loved this present world. Having loved this present world. And he's now departed for Thessalonica. Cretans for Galatia. Titus for Dalmatia. So clearly if you have again 
as a child of God, initially, a heart to serve Him, a heart to walk with God, do what God wants for your life, wonderful. But guess what? If you're not careful and you don't divorce this spirit of the world, guess what it'll eventually cause you to do? Divorce your God. It'll cause you to divorce your calling God, your position in God, where God wants you, where God has for you to live your life, what God has for you to do in living out your life. And I promise you, that's the wrong path to take. Amen? So notice this on your notes, number three. Realize there are deserters or what we would call a betrayer. A deserter or a betrayer. 3A, Demas actually abandoned, think about this, the ministry because of his attraction to the world. He's not the only one, of course. Many have. Many people have. Many people have gotten caught up in ministry with the focus on money, popularity, wanting to please people, you name it. Doesn't mean that they may not still be doing some aspect of what they call ministry, but they've departed from the true call of ministry on their life, all because they've allowed themselves to fall back in love with the world or the things of this world. Dangerous. 3B, there are three things to be aware of here as it relates to Demas. All right? B1, guess what he did? He forsook his pastor. In Demas' day, who's his pastor? Paul is. The Apostle Paul and all those that were called to him that he's raising up and training up is actually their pastor, their leader. What did he just do? He has now forsaken Paul. So one of the things that happens when people don't divorce the world, and again, is this just like an instant decision? Do you think this just happens overnight? Just from night to day? No, it's a slow process. And if you don't divorce the world and stay close to God, what's one of the first things it can do? Cause you to forsake your pastor. Number two, uh, B2, it also is because he did what? Because he loved the present world. It's what caused him to do so. And then three, he then did what? Notice this. He departed from the ministry to be in the world. Now listen, God found a way. Say, God found a way. You know how many times God's had to, had to find a way because of man's unfaithfulness to him? Uh, again and again and again. But here's what I want you to think about. Think about this. Demas, in where God wanted him to be, to fulfill his purpose in God, to serve with his pastor, help do the work of ministry, be a part of that, is no longer going to happen. Demas is now obviously out, as I've mentioned to many people before, there, there's two paths in life, folks. There's God's path, and then there's the devil's path. There's no other in between. There's not God's path, yours, and the devil's. If you're going your way, you're denying God. There's God's path, and there's the devil's path. And we want to stay on whose path? God's path. If I stay on God's path, I showed you this years ago. I took an umbrella one time and I held it up. And if I stay on God's path, it's like I got an umbrella over me. God's over me. I'm under his protection. If I choose not to go God's way, it's like folding up the umbrella. And now I'm open to the elements. Now I'm open to whatever Satan wants to do with my life. So if I don't divorce the world, the God who, who obviously is the God of this world, Satan, if I don't divorce the world, it can pull me out of my calling, pull me out away from my pastor. Now think about it. First and foremost, is that body affected? Yes, because the gift that God wanted to function there is no longer there. Will God replace him? Yes, he will. He'll eventually replace them. And what they don't realize is, sure, God will make adjustments. He'll replace them. How many know he had to do it with Barnabas with Paul? Remember that story? And, and who was it that all of a sudden, as everybody else is heading back to Jerusalem, had it in his heart to stay behind for some reason? Silas. And lo and behold, God knew what was about to happen. And guess what happened for Barnabas? Got replaced. Got replaced by who? Silas. 
You, you know, you can claim anything you want about Paul. Paul did nothing wrong there. Nothing at all. But understand again, if you go back to walking in a love for this world or the things of this world, what did Barnabas actually show a love for above God? His, his family relative, John Mark. You're not supposed to love anybody more than you love Jesus. Right? But he obviously did. So understand, if that happens, it pulls them out of their calling. It pulls a part of the body, obviously, away from where they're supposed to be. Eventually, God's going to replace them. But the reality is, they cannot usually get back in that position again. God's already replaced them. And many times they won't because they'll continue to walk the way of the world. The sad part about it is people that I've watched that happen to in my lifetime, most of them actually eventually pull out of church. You listening? It's not like they just go find another church to serve in because they went back to the world. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about people who started falling back in love with the world. You understand what I'm talking about? People who started getting busy, getting caught up back at the things of the world. I've watched this pattern all my life for 33 years as a pastor. I've watched people walk in this door, as the Bible talks about, as, you know, Brandy even preached on, and they've come in here discontent, in distress, or in debt. Hear the word, get excited, never miss a service. So desiring to turn things around in their life. Never miss a service. Where can I serve, pastor? Get busy in the house of God, start serving, and guess what happens? Because they start walking out what God's plan is, things start changing. They start prospering, things get better. But after a while, guess what? They slowly start drifting back, less and less church, less and less serving, less and less time with the things of God, etc., etc., etc. And most of those people, they're eventually going to get offended and leave. But you know what tends to happen to them somewhere down the road? They're totally out of church. Because if already the world's pulling them back, you think they're going to wind up staying in church? Not likely. Not likely. So understand, you and I want to make sure we're divorcing the right thing. And what are we supposed to be divorcing tonight? The spirit of the world. We don't want to be like Demas and miss our calling. Do you think Demas, if he didn't correct that, do you think Demas is going to hear from Jesus on that day, well done, thou good and faithful servant? No, he's not. He's going to give an account for his disobedience. Right? He's going to give an account for his disobedience to go back and fall in love with the world. He's not going to hear that from Jesus. Was he a good, faithful servant? Was he a good and faithful servant? No, so he's certainly not going to hear that from the Lord. Not unless he gets it fixed and corrected. But sadly, most do not. Sadly, most do not. Number three, again, realize that there are deserters and betrayers. Recognize that it can cause you to forsake your pastor because of the love for the world and therefore even depart from the ministry, your ultimate calling, the place where God wants you to serve, be a part, and actually wind up going back to the world. I ain't never going back to the world, folks. I don't care. I'm not going to do it in Jesus' name. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. I've had a lot of what the world's had to offer. Not everything, thank God. I said, thank God, but I have had a lot of it. And I'm going to tell you right now, God's far better. God's proven himself to me over and over. He's far better, far better. James chapter four. Number four, friendship with the world. This is some powerful scripture here. Think about this. Friendship with the world means you're an enemy of God. This is written to believers. James four, friendship with the world, enemy of God. I don't want to be an enemy of God. It didn't say that God is your enemy. It just says you're an enemy of God. You're opposed to him. Watch this. James 4.1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? 
Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war on your members? Now, what do you mean pleasure? Get my way. Do things my way. I want things my way. I want what I want. I want to have it. I want to have what I want to have, and I want to get what I want to get. And I guarantee you what it causes. It causes fights in marriages, fights amongst friends, even wars in the world. Verse 2, you lust, desire, and you don't have. Meaning that, guess what? You'll never satisfy your fleshly carnal desires. I'm going to say that again. What verse 2 just told you, you lust and do not have. What's that mean? Because he's talking about them lusting after the things of the world. Do some people in the world not get power? Do they not get money? Do they not get things? But you know what? It's never enough. It's never enough. They're always after more. They're never satisfied. So he says you lust, but you don't have. Notice this. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you don't ask. Now this is actually referring to the fact you're not asking God biblically and you're not asking in the right way and for the right reasons. Notice this, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. That you may spend it on your pleasures. That means your purpose of asking for what you want from God is so that you can allow that to consume your life. That's what verse 3 just said. It doesn't, is it wrong to ask for things that God wants to bless us with? No. It's not wrong for us to ask for things God wants to bless us with. But if the purpose is so that I can spend more time with my things, that's verse 3. Are you listening? I want a bass boat, Lord, so I, I want all this fishing equipment so I can go fishing. I know Don doesn't, but I know Becky does like to fish. Praise the Lord. <laughs> that's a little side joke. but not Like she wants all that, but I'm just telling you, just a joke. Just forget what I just said. I'm just a little joke. But, but understand that I want a bass boat, Lord. I want all the fishing equipment. Da, 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 da. And so you covet that. You go after that. And the only reason you want it is so you can start missing church on Sunday and be on the lake. Every waking moment of every hour that you're not working, you're at the lake fishing. You're not serving God anymore. Before you had the boat, you were busy in church serving God. Now, I didn't say just because you got a boat, that ain't going to happen. But it will if you start falling in love with your bass boat more than you love God. Are you still here? Yeah, it's anything. I'm just using the bass boat as an example. Sorry for all the bass fishermen. I'm not trying to come against the bass boat. But my point is, that's what verse 3 is saying. He's saying that you ask and do not receive. In other words, you're not satisfied. You're not completed because you're asking amiss. You're asking so that you can simply indulge yourself in it. And again, is that going to ultimately satisfy you? No. It won't. You'll never get enough of it. All right. Verse 4. Notice this. Adulterers and adulteresses. What's an adulterer? Period. One who's giving their love to somebody else that doesn't deserve it. Guess who, de- who deserves all your devotion and love? God does. And if you give him all your devotion and love, guess what God's going to do? Love others through you. You're still going to love other people, but it's going to be his love. This is powerful. You get this. You ready for this? You ready for this? What is my own personal love supposed to be devoted to? God. If I devote my own personal love to God, then guess what God will do? He will take his love in me and he'll love others through me with his love. I'm going to say it again in case you miss it. I take my own personal love that God gave me and I devote that to him. I'm to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, strength, mind. Come on. 
Everything I have. So if I take my, are you getting this? If I take my personal love and I devote it on God. It's like Kathy was praying Monday night. If we just wanted nothing but God, imagine how excited we get in this church. During praise and worship, we'd have some people probably jumping around a little more, getting a little more excited. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, if we have our love devoted on God, David did, man. He danced before the Lord. So understand if our love and devotion is focused on God, guess what? Then God's love that's in me, say God's love. God's love that's in me, guess what? Now comes through me and loves others. And this is where people understand, well, I don't know how I love God and love others. You don't. You don't. I said you don't. You love God. And then God's love loves others through you. I want you to get that. Because you got to understand if I have any form of a love. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 23, he said, if you love father, mother, brother, sister in your own life more than you love me, guess what? You can't be my disciple. Meaning what? I'm supposed to devote my love to Jesus. My love's devoted to God. And thank God he can love through you a whole lot better than you could ever love him. Are you still here tonight? What? This is why a lot of people have a hard time forgiving. Man, the Holy Spirit is just speaking to me. You know why a lot of people have a hard time forgiving? Because their love isn't devoted to God. They're trying to give with their love. They're trying to forgive with their love. Oh, you need to hear that. They're trying to forgive with their own love. God's saying, no, you love me and you'll have no problem forgiving them because my love will love through you and my love forgives everybody. You still here? Adulterers and adulteresses. So don't give your love to anybody other than God. Notice this. Do you not know that friendship, wow, friendship with the world is enmity with God? Enmity for most in the English today is a little blind to most people. What's enmity mean? In, in absolute opposition to. Absolute opposition to. Opposed to. If you're a friend of the world, guess who you're opposing? God. Notice this, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself what? Wow. He makes himself an enemy of God. If you're a friend of the world, you are making yourself an enemy of God. So guess what you and I need to learn to do? Devote our love to who? God and God alone and God will do what? He'll love others through us. Notice this, verse 5, or do you not think, I wanted to throw this in as an extra, do you not think that the scripture says in vain... Notice this, do you, or do you think the scripture says in vain, which it doesn't, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously because he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You and I understand God does not want to share our love with anybody. He wants to share his love with everybody. I'll say it again. He does not want us to share our love with anybody. He wants to share his love with everybody. When your love is focused on devotion to him, he can love through you. It makes it a whole lot easier to forgive people and to walk in the light of that love. That was worth coming tonight if you got nothing else. All right, 4A. Friendship with the world again is what? It's total enmity. Total enmity to be opposed. Opposed with God. An enmity with God. B, if you want to be friends with the world, you make yourself. Not God. You make yourself an enemy of God. If I want to be a friend of the world, I make myself an enemy of God. I encourage you not to do that, in Jesus' name. Matthew 6. Are you being helped tonight? Matthew 6. Matthew 6. Verse 
Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. This is why you got to deal with your flesh so that you can continue to maintain your love devotion, your love devotion to your God. Because if you love him more than you love anything else, he's going to love through you. Matthew 6. Matthew 6 going on and talking about this divorcing of the world. Uh, Number 5 on your notes, where you plant your treasures, you go often. Where you plant your treasures, your wealth, your treasury, you go often. How do you know? The Bible says so. How many believe the Bible? I got any Bible believers here tonight? Any Bible believers here tonight? Matthew 6, 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Is it okay to put some money aside? Yes. But that's just for the purpose of being wise and having some extra money for when I need it, it's there. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Did Jesus do so? They had a treasury. Had a treasure, so he did it. But he's just saying, you don't get focused on laying up everything you got on earth. Do not therefore lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves what? Now I want you to notice this. I want you to know this. As a giver, raise your hand if you're a giver to the kingdom. You have treasure in heaven that no moth or rust can destroy. No enemy can take from you. Amen? Not like there's dollars up there. But you understand, God keeps a record and notes what you give. And he promises to multiply it back. So verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. 21, for where your treasure or treasury or wealth is, there your heart will be also. So that just means that that is what you're focusing or centering your life on. The phrase heart means what are you centering your life on? It's not talking about your spirit because your spirit's set on God. You're born again. But understand that what I center my life on, I can find out real simple. All I got to do, understandably, you know, you got to pay bills, right? You got to pay, you know, a mortgage or rent. You got to pay electric bills, you know. You got to pay a water bill. So there's things you got to pay in life, gas bills, whatever. But after beyond all of that, you look at your treasury and what you do beyond the basic necessities of what you do. And you find out where the bulk of that treasury goes. That tells you where your focus in life is. You listening to me? That's what he just told you. Where your treasure is. Wealth. It's treasury. Wealth. The finances, the money you have. Where that is, that's where your heart's at. That's what your focus is on. So if I clearly, I, I love, uh, I wish I knew him a little better as far as information about him. I should read more about him. The gentleman that started J.C. Penney. You know, he started off very poor, didn't have much. And he simply said, man, I love God. I'm going to give him a tenth of my income. That's his. The tithe is his. But he said, you know what? I'm believing that I'm going to be able to get to give 90% of my income to God. It's unfair that I'm only to give 10%. I should give far more than that for what Jesus did for me. And guess what he did? He started challenging himself. I would love to take the time. I don't have time tonight to tell you a story about Dr. Barclay and John Osteen. But he used to tell, uh, or John, uh, Pastor Osteen used to tell uh, Dr. Barclay when he would come to him, he'd say, Mark, he said, at some point you got to get out of the 25s. He said, what do you mean? He said, you always give $25 in an offering, right? Yep. He said, you ever want to see increase? Yep. You got to get out of the 25s. God can't increase beyond what you're sowing, son. At some point you're going to have to challenge yourself and start going to the 50s. 
And after a while, when he would come and see him, because he would give to his pastor offerings, he literally told him one time, he said, Mark, he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, I'm telling you before you come back this next time, you need to be in the hundreds. Well, pastor, I'm just trying to help you, son. You need to be in the hundreds. You, what God's got called for your ministry. What you're going to do, you can't make it on just a little money, son. You're going to need God to bless you abundantly, and that's going to be based on you honoring God. He got to the hundreds. It was hard. It was a challenge. But then you know what he did? John Osteen one time said, you need to get to the thousands. Then he said, you need to get to the ten thousands. He said, I remember the first time I took a $10,000 check to my pastor. You're awful quiet. Right before John Osteen passed away, he actually was at his office one day. He said, come here, Mark. He took him up to a little room. He goes over to a desk. He pulls the desk out. Guess what was in the desk? All those checks he had written. He said, I didn't need your money. I wasn't after your money. But what God needed you to do in your ministry, what he's called you to do, it's going to take a lot of money, son. It's not going to take a little bit. Now you know how to trust him. Now you know how to give to him. But pastor, I wanted you to have that. I know, I know. But I just wanted you to understand the significance of the call of God on your life and your ministry. And you're, you were never going to get there by only giving 25, 50, 100. You listening? Where your treasury is, that's where your heart will be. Praise God. And guess what Mr. J.C. Penney got to before he died and went to heaven? 90%. He lived off of 10% and was one wealthy dude living off of 10%. How many know God will do what he said? I said, how many know God will do what he said? Drop down a little further, please, to verse 31. So he goes on in this chapter and he says in verse 31, Therefore, do not worry. Do not what? So a lot of people worry when it starts coming to money. Right? Treasury. He says, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? 32, for after all these things the Gentiles seek. Who's the Gentiles? Those who don't know God. You see, it's sad to be a believer living on the planet, be under the Word of God, taught the Word of God, know that you've been taught to be a tither, you've been walking with God 10, 15, 20 years, and you're still not consistent at tithing. I'm going to tell you why you're having problems financially. Because your treasury is in the world, not in God. You listening? Now, if you have been taught the Word of God, and then this church you have, and you're not even beyond the tithe after about four or five years, you're not paying attention to the Word, you need to work on dealing with your heart and realize God's wanting to bless me. Right? You know what 2 Corinthians 9 says? With the measure you use. That's what will be measured back to you. Are you still here tonight? So we're not to worry about what we need like the Gentiles do. Right? Verse 32, after all those things, eating, wearing, drinking, that's what the Gentiles seek. Guess what you're not supposed to do? Seek those things. Meaning what? That's not what your heart's to be, your focus. That's not what you're to be focused and set on. For your heavenly Father knows. Say he knows. Your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. Does he not? So what does he tell you to do? Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And guess what will happen? Golly, Gomer, all these things will be added Unto you. You won't have to seek them. Can I get a better amen? I love my church because I know you believe the word. I just wish more people did. I'm sad for some in my church. Don't worry. I'm not looking around. Probably not here tonight. Not thinking of anybody individually. I still have people in my church been walking with God a long time. And they're, they're not tithers because they'll give for a period of time. And for two or three months, nothing. And they're still working. 
They're still getting income. You're just hurting yourself. You're just hurting yourself. God wants you blessed. And if money's your God, he can't bless you. I want you to get this. If your money's your God, somebody give me some money. I don't have my wallet on me. Give me a buck or five bucks. If your money's your God, guess what God cannot do? He cannot bless you. I want to show you why. Praise God. 50 bucks. Thank you. If, if, <laughs> do you hear Mike? Do you hear Mike? That's a good husband. She's loaded. She loaded, man. If, if your money's your God, guess what? God can't bless you. You know why? Because if this is my God, guess what I'm focusing on? This. Guess who I'm not focusing on? God. How's God going to bless me? He can't because you're not looking to him of how he wants to bless you. You're looking to this to bless you. If this is my God, I'm saying, you're going to bless me. You're going to bless me. You're going to bless me. But if I don't look to money as my God, I say, no, God, you've already blessed me. You've already blessed me. This is not my God. Are you listening? You, my God, know how to get more of this to me. And you've set it up in your word for me to do so. Can I get a better amen? Thank you, Donna. You've got to understand, if money's your God, you're putting your faith in your money. Not your God. And I'm telling you, this is a challenge for some in this church, probably not here tonight. Hopefully, maybe. Most of them probably don't, but might hear this message later. If you don't ever settle this tithing issue in your heart, your, your focus already is on the wrong thing. Heart's not your spirit. It's what you're focused on. If you're not focused on God, I have a question for you. I have a question for you. If you're not focused on God, do you really love him? What do you think? No, I'm to love him with all my heart, soul, strength, uh, my, my mind, everything I got. If I'm not focused on God, do I really love him? No, I don't. Guess what you're telling yourself by not being a tither who's learned the word and know what the word says. You love the world more. You love the, you love, you hold on to that money. That money is more important to you to think I can't let go of it because I got to have it. God knows you need it. He just said it. I know you need these things. But if you seek first the kingdom, I'll add all those things unto you. Would anybody in this church give me one really good amen tonight? Because God doesn't lie. He doesn't lie. So understand this. What, here's the key. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom? I want you to look at this on your notes here. Number 5a, our treasury in those scriptures, our treasury in verses 19, 20, 21, it reveals a lot about what our heart is set on, what our focus if you want to say it that way, because that's what it means. It's what our focus is set on. 5B, if we're not to seek after, uh, excuse me, we are not to seek after the things of this life. 5C, we are to seek first what? Underline it, please. We're to seek first the kingdom of God and his, listen to this, his righteousness. Uh, uh, let me, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. I apologize. We are to seek first the kingdom of God, which is his rule over our lives. Coming back to that, D, we're also to seek what is uh, what has his approval. That's righteousness. So seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So what's the kingdom? Kingdom. It's the domain or the dominion of the king. Meaning what? I have to seek every day to stay under the dominion of the king. If Jesus really is the Lord of my life, then I am doing what? Seeking him first, and therefore I'm under the dominion of the king. If I'm under the dominion of the king, and the king says in Matthew 23, 23 to tithe, guess what I do? I tithe. Because I'm under the dominion 
of the king. He's the king. I'm under his dominion. I'm doing what he says. That's seeking first the kingdom. And then his righteousness means that which has his approval. So as I now go through this life under the dominion of the king, I got to constantly look at stuff in my life and say, does this have his approval? Wait a minute. What about everything you buy? Does this have his approval? Do you ever ask God if you can buy something? Do you ever ask God if you can buy something? Well, no, I just go buy it. What if God don't want you to have it? What if God knows that's going to become a God to you? Well, I'm saving up for this. I want this so bad. Okay, do you want it bad enough that it might become a God to you? God knows if it will. And if it will, guess what that's going to do? That's going to cause you to start falling back in love with the world and the things of the world. I didn't say God doesn't want you to have anything. I'm just saying, have you ever asked him? Because God knows your heart better than you do. Can I get a better amen? Now, it doesn't mean you can't enjoy things in this life again, but I've said it many times. I get a lot of flack for this as well, but I've said it many times. I'm not to love this world or the things of this world. I'm not to love animals. I'm not to love my car. I'm not to love my home. Sure love my home. Not supposed to. I'm not supposed to love the things of this world. They're a blessing. Great to have. Wonderful. Take care of them. Enjoy them. But love them. How many people by their own words reveal where their heart's at? I'll get off of that. Uh, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. See, we got to divorce this spirit of the world, and it's subtle. And a lot of people don't realize, man, when we start talking about, I love this, I love that, I love this, I love that. Do you really, honestly, I mean, if it's consistent, is that what your love is set on? You know? You can say, I enjoy uh, my home. I enjoy the home God bless. I enjoy the vehicle I get to drive. I enjoy these, you know, things in my life that I get to enjoy and have in my life. But you start loving them. I'll get off of that. Praise (laughs) the Lord. Your words reveal a lot about what's in your heart. You listening? James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Number six, you must realize that you are not exempt from the draw to sin. Nobody is. Nobody is. James 1.13, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. Why? Because God cannot be tempted by what? Evil. You're not tempted to do good, you're tempted to do wrong. Nor does God himself, nor does he himself do what? So God tempts nobody to do that which is not right in the sight of God. Nobody. 14, but each one is tempted with what? When he is drawn away by his... So these are the desires of the flesh. That's back to that First John 2 verse. So we get tempted with our own fleshly desires and enticed. 15. Then, and the enticing part, here's... Think of it this way. You know the analogy of this verse actually says in the Greek language, it's like fishing. It's like fishing. So I brought up the bass boat order. So you're out there fishing, right? Trying to get an old bass to come after that lure. What are you trying to do? You're enticing him. What are you enticing him with? What are you enticing him with? Think about what that verse says. What are you enticing him with? Something he desires. He wants that little fishy in his belly. You listening? Or he wants that little worm in his belly. He desires it. And you're enticing him with something he desires. What you got to realize, Satan does the same thing. Does it have a hook on it? You listening? Because he can go after real worms. They're not going to hurt him. He can go after real bait fish. They're not, they, you listen, they're not going to hurt him. But if he goes after one that he's being enticed with that's got hooks on it, he's in trouble. 
You're still here. Yes. 15. Then when desire has conceived. Underline that. When desire has conceived. So what, how does desire conceive? You allowed yourself to listen to, focus on, and be enticed far too long with the desire of the flesh. Where now in your heart you got to have it. Now it's conceived. Conceived within the soul. And it gives birth to what? Sin. It's not, a, it's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin when it conceives in the heart. How does it conceive in the heart? I focused on it too long. If that sin conceives, it then gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, still guess what, church? It still brings forth death. What's death? Separation from Zoe. Separation from the life God had for you. You still here? 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. So we know he's not talking to sinners, talking to believers. Number six on your notes, you got to realize again, you are not exempt from the draw to sin. Six, say every man, say every man, just human. Every man must war against what? The lust of the flesh. Six B, you got to remember that the wages of sin is still what? It is still death. If you allow that sin to conceive and act it out, it still has death on the end of it. And 6C, never allow yourself the pleasure of being enticed by the things that what? Now that's powerful. Never allow yourself the pleasure. That's a powerful statement. Thank you, Dr. Mark T. Barclay. Never allow yourself the pleasure of being enticed by the things that tempt you. If you don't, you'll never give in to it. You'll never give in to it. That means you eliminate the temptation. Guess what? Not a problem. Daniel. Last verse, chapter 8. Daniel 8. These are such important and powerful teachings that a lot of people just don't realize the significance of, of all of what God simply wants to do to help us to do what? To be able to live a good life. Come on, live a power-packed life. A life of true honor to God, a life that brings honor to Him and helps us to walk in liberty and freedom and not be ensnared by the enticements of Satan. Daniel chapter 8. Verse 12, look at this verse. Because of transgression, I want you to see that. What's transgression? Sin. So this, re- this reference here is to the acts of sin. Because of sin, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices. Old Testament, I know. But the, the application still applies. Because of sin, the, the army of the day in Daniel was therefore given over They were given over to the horn to oppose, notice this, daily sacrifices, which they were required to offer. Notice what else happened. They also did what? They also cast truth down to the ground. And they did all this and prospered. They what? Prospered. Sin can cause you to prosper, but the end result ain't good. Notice this on your notes, number seven. All in that verse is saying this. Sin works the same way in everyone's life. Old or New Testament. 7a. What does sin do? It opposes the daily sacrifices. What are we supposed to do? Be living a daily. Romans 12.1. New Testament. Giving our bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy acceptable for God. How often you got to do that? Every day. What did Paul say? I die daily. What causes you to stop dying? Sin. Sin does. Sin causes you to, to now turn away from giving yourself as a daily sacrifice to God. Because now you're giving yourself to sin. 7b, it also does what? Cast truth to the ground. Guess what you don't want to do? Cast truth to the ground. Guess what liberates you? Guess what frees you? Truth does. 
You don't want to cast that to the ground. But what causes you to cast truth to the ground? Sin does. Transgressions. Come on, church. Help me preach. What causes you to oppose being a daily sacrifice to the Lord? What is it? Sin, Sin does. What causes you to cast truth to the ground? Sin does. But notice this, it even prospers in its way. So just because a person's prospering and they're living in sin doesn't mean it's God. I guarantee you sometimes the aspect of what we see in the natural and our heart is set on stuff and we see somebody prospering and yet they're living in uh, disobedience to God. But they're prospering. We think, wow, they must be doing something right. Doesn't mean. I guarantee you what, is the mob prospering because God's blessing them? Is the mafia in Mexico prospering because God's blessing them? No, they're living in sin. They're prospering in the natural, but they're living in sin. So you can't look at prosperity as an indicator that a person's right with God. Amen? That's the point. All right? Real quick, number eight. Here's a list of things from Dr. Barclay that'll help you get rid of the world. You ready? Ready to go over these? In closing, A, denounce all ties with the world. Denounce them. Get rid of them. Denounce all ties with the world and break all covenants that you have made with worldly people as soon as possible. We should not have covenants, in essence, agreements with people that are worldly and carnal that we're going to get in connection with and walk together with because guess what you're doing? You're choosing the wrong friends. And they will lead you astray. I tell people this all the time, even in relationship to, you know, aspects of uh, uh, corporations or businesses, etc. As a believer, I should not get into a quote-unquote corporation or an agreement with those who are living in sinful lifestyles. God, if that can affect me. Who says you got to compromise to make money? Chick-fil-A is not. Still the most uh, popular fast food restaurant on the planet. And golly, Gomer, they don't even open on Sunday. Think of all the restaurants that think you've got to open on Sunday to make it. I guarantee you what, Chick-fil-A don't, because their owners desire to honor God. Now, I don't know where they're at today with all that, but, I mean, the original owner's intent was. That's what his desire was. All right, C, here's another one. Excuse me, uh, B, we passed over B. Change your attitude and viewpoint about the world and its system. What do you mean? Don't, you've got to change your attitude towards this world and its system to say it's dangerous. It's harmful. It's, you can't look at, oh, it's fun. That's wrong attitude. I said, that's the wrong attitude. The world system, the spirit of this world, you can't look at that and say, oh, that's fun. You got to change your attitude and say, you know what? That's dangerous. That's a harmful enemy. That is not a friend of mine. If you're a friend of that world, you're an enemy to God. So you want to change your attitude and viewpoint about the world and its system. Make up your mind that the world's way is far from the right way. Somebody give me a good amen. Amen. C, walk away from all sin and the things that lead you into it. Don't just walk away from sin. If there's things that you don't uh, obviously have as a stronghold in your life that you can walk away from, walk away. But don't just walk away from the sin. Walk away from the things that lead you into it. If there's things that cause you again to get tempted to lead you into it, walk away from those things. Get them out of your life. D, let it be widely known that you are sold out to Jesus and that you will never turn back. Do I get any good amens on that one? That wasn't a very good amen. Amen. You need to let everybody know, I'm sold out. Don't you have to go around and tell them, I'm sold out to Jesus. But they ought to know. They ought to know. They ought to know by the way you live, what you say, how you talk, where you go, what you do. They ought to know you are not like them. E, abstain from and refuse all worldly ways, 
practices and fellowships. E, get rid of everything in your home and workplace that causes you to even think about the old life. That's powerful. Not because it's demon-possessed. You know, well, I got to get rid of these uh, movies because they're demon possessed. They're probably, they're not a demon hanging around on your DVD. But if it's full of foul language and garbage and stuff and you're going to watch it, that's the world. That's the spirit of the world. Get it out of your home. You don't need it. Get rid of it. Can I get a better amen? G, change your phone number. Huh? Change your phone number if need be in order to make it hard for your old worldly companions to get a hold of you. And he's talking about what he had to do because his old friends would not leave him alone. And if you allow them access to your life, guess what? They're going to keep tempting you. You listening? I know people that need to do this as it relates in context to the world of people I know in the world. If they were to come into the kingdom, they need to change their number because guess what? They got a lot of numbers on their phones of people that are drug dealers and drug pushers, etc., etc. And I guarantee you what? Those people are going to keep calling. If you got born again, you need to change your number so they can't get a hold of you anymore. Amen. H, fast and pray constantly until you know you have broken all the power of sin in your life. Amen. And I, surround yourself with believers like people in this room, people in this church. Any amens on that? Amen. Surround yourself with believers who are what? Free from the world and all its ways. Because all they're going to do is help you be a strength and walk in a relationship to God and help you stay stronger and staying free from it. Amen. Amen. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.